Praise God. Well, good morning. I'm going to jump right in today because uh, I know you got a lot of stuff to go do, and I got to get through a lot of stuff here real quick. But um, you know, I had a complete message wrote out, going to run toward Father's Day with some things, and man, all week long, the enemy just kept bringing the the, the guy just kept bringing this and bringing it. So I finally surrendered yesterday. Like, all right, God, I'll preach it. So. Uh, I know it's for somebody, all right? Are you ready? I'm going to start off, you don't have these notes, Tanya, but I'm going to start off in um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if that's all right with you. It says, um, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Amorites. Now, that's a way to start off a chapter, isn't it? His humanity says, and after it happened. So, you know, there was something that took place that you would consider a bad it, I guess, right here. Is it and after it happened? I don't know what it is. I have a lot of it's that I look back in my past, and you know, I, I, it's, you can usually tell an it if you have this response. I can't believe that just happened. Can you believe that? Is going on? Can you believe? So already here we pick the story up after something's been going on. All right, and then it says this. It says that the people of Moab. Now the Moabs were enemies of the children of Israel and the God's people for years and years and years. And the Moabs they have a specific fighting strategy. Their fighting strategy is the Moabs always attacked in spring. The reason why they would always attack in spring, when you do your Bible church, they would, they would let you go out, or they would let the children of Israel go out and work all year long, get the fields ready, get everything planted, you know, keep the fields all ready to go. And then right before harvest was due, at the end of spring, they would come in and attack and steal all the harvest. So everything they'd worked for was gone. And so, all right, so whatever took place, it says, and after it happened, there was already an event taking place. Then the Moabs came in trying to steal all the harvest of all the work and labor that they'd put in. It says, with the people of Ammon. In other words, it wasn't just the Moabs. It wasn't just enough to hold this back. They're bringing a whole nother army with them. And then it says this, and the others besides the Amorites. In other words, they were getting it from the north, getting it from the south, getting it from the east, and getting it from the west. It was coming in from every direction. I mean, you guys have ever felt that way? Like, you know, when it rains, it pours, all right? And then we just decided that, all right, I'm where we see what they're doing, we see where they've been laboring, we see they're getting everything ready, and now I, there's no way we're going to let them just skate on through. We're going to attack them in every possible way. I don't know about you, but it seems like that's the way the devil's always coming at me, working in every side. It's like you can't just fight on one front, you're having to fight on five fronts, you're having to fight for your marriage, you're having to fight for your job, having to fight for your finances, having to fight for your for your sanity, having to fight in all these different directions. And this is what it says. And then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you. No doubt. He could see them coming from every side. And it says, From beyond the sea. So even from foreign play, play, enemies that you know shouldn't even be getting involved in this thing now are coming across the sea, it says, from Syria. 
and they are in Hezron Tamar, which is Eden Gidi, whatever, if that means anything to you. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Now, I don't know what's all going on in your life, but I'm here today, I truly believe, with the direct message from the Lord. And the Lord told me to come today and preach this specific message because, you know, in my life, I find myself a lot of times, you know, doing everything I can do. And when the enemy starts coming against me, I find myself trying to fight the enemy like I think in my own mind I've been taught to do. I'm a firm believer in spiritual warfare. I'm not belittling spiritual warfare at all. But today I want to bring up probably what I believe one of the strongest weapons God has made available to Christians in our arsenal. That truly, I believe, and it's in the Word of God as well, it is the thing that we can go after, fight for. And if we can accomplish this, it moves us into a place for the miraculous hand of God to be able to move. Because you've got to understand something. You may be fighting something here today, but just like Jehoshaphat had to learn in this story, there had been battles he had fought in the past that they would rise up as an army and go against, and they would win. There were battles and things that they would come and they would, they would fight, and they would get their victory. But here we find Jehoshaphat fighting against so much that it didn't matter how hard they were going to fight. The truth is they were just not going to win. But there's good news on this front. Because the Bible says, first of all, I love when the Bible draws pictures of men. It draws pictures of their muscles and their face, but it shows their wrinkles and their warts and anything else that was wrong with them. And it said the first thing here, it says that Jehoshaphat moved into fear. It says he was afraid. And then I love the fact, though, that just because he moved into fear at first, he was still able to get it right because it said, then he sought the Lord. And if you skip down to verse 15... That's what it says. And he said, listen, all of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because this because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but the battle is the Lord's. So that is an amazing passage of Scripture. That is probably one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. That a king was facing unbelievable odds that were coming against him. And he had a human reaction. He moved into fear first. But then he remembered who he was and whose side he was on and who was on his side. And the Bible says, hey, Jehoshaphat, you can fight this thing if you want to, but it's not your battle. You don't have to be afraid of this great multitude coming against you. All these things. Because, see, this is not your fight. This is God's fight. And the Lord sent me here today. Honestly, I had a completely different series. I was going to start preaching on party happy things. You know, going forward and blessing. Because we're going towards Father's Day. And I'm excited about it. But 
the Lord wouldn't let me come today without telling somebody what you're dealing with is not your battle. This battle's God's. And we need to learn to let God fight our battles. Because what happens is a lot of times we try to fight what God's already given us victory over. And we stay so worked up, so worked out, so stressed out, so bothered, so involved in these fights that we stand in the way of God doing the miracle. God is is waiting. We always say, well, I'm just waiting on God. I've probably heard that more times than I've heard on anything else from people that are going through things. Just waiting for God to step in. I'm just waiting for God to move on this. I'm just waiting on this. In my own life, I'm just like, God, when are you ever going to get involved in this thing? When are you ever going to stop this battle? And the truth is, he did, couldn't step in and fight until I stepped out of the fight myself. Because, see, you say, well, Cricket, why can't God fight with me? Because if you're fighting the battle and God gives you the victory, you're going to take the credit. And that's not the way battles work. The battle works then when the enemy comes against you. The Bible says the Lord will raise the standard. We keep trying to do it. And I'm going to be honest with you. In my own personal life, we, we put a lot of heavy weight on us as Christians. Well, if I can just pray a little more, if I can just read a little more, if I can just get in a little bit more church service, if I can just get committed more, then, then God, I want you to know something. You're not going to earn your victory. The victory's already been won. And you're fighting a battle that can't be won because the battle has already been won. And if you don't understand that God has already defeated this thing in your life, the devil has already been defeated, then you're going to be fighting against something that can't win. Because, see, it was finished at the cross. This is what the Bible said. The Bible said that that, that God, Jesus came and took... The gate, the keys to the, to the, um, to the, uh, the gate, the, he went and took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. He took those keys. And you say, well, what do those keys, what, what does that mean? Or what, can I, can I read just something? Well, I'll, I'll save that to the end. I'm going to jump on into this. The battle's not yours, the battle's God's. If you go over to Hebrews, verse, uh, chapter 4, you say, well, cricket, if, the battle's not mine, the battle's the Lord's, then what do I do to walk in victory? See, you got to understand, we don't fight for victory. We stand from victory. Now, not everybody's going to get that right off. And you know, that's one of those thoughts that took me years to process and understand, that I don't have to fight for victory in my life. Jesus has already won the victory. And He's already given the victory to me. So what I do is I stand and I fight from victory. I don't try to win and I don't try to defeat the devil. And I don't try to beat him. I resist and I win. We're not fighting to win a battle. The battle's been won. 
Now, you say, Cree, that don't make any sense. So I, I'm not understanding this. So you're saying, do nothing? I'm just supposed to sit on the side and, and just wait on God? Well, no, waiting. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up as wings as eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary. They shall run and not faint. And so we a lot of times want to take that word waiting and get a big comfy chair or lazy boy recliner and jump down in it and be like, I, I'll be right here, God, when you're ready. That's not what that word, that word waiting is actually a verb. If we go back to school, you know, there are different kinds of words. There's nouns, there's pronouns, there's adverbs, and there's verbs. What makes a verb a verb is if there is an action attached to the word. Waiting is a verb. It's not a sitting, it's not a doing nothing. Action verb, waiting, means that I get somewhere and I put action to my expectation. And so, in the process of, if you're in the middle of a battle, you need to understand that the battle's not yours, the battle's is the Lord's. Now, there's been a lot of battles in my life that I have fought that were my battles. If I'm rude, mean, hateful to my wife, I picked that fight. I'm not talking about free, you know, uh, battles that you may be dealing with today over stupid things that you do. Because, yeah, you can create your own battles. But when you got them coming in from this side, that side, the other side, and the other, like here in 2 Chronicles, you need to understand that this is not natural. This is supernatural. There is a, a spiritual launched attack against you and yours. Because the devil gets up every day trying to stop the plan and the will of God in your life. And if He can stop you, now, He can't defeat you. There's a saying that says, you can be hindered but not defeated. He can't beat you, but He just wants to tie you up, wear you out, get you to where you're ineffective for the kingdom of God. And so if He thinks if He can get you coming in so many different directions, as a matter of fact, Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 says this, and He will speak words against the Most High to wear the saints out. If he can get you fighting on so many fronts, you fighting in so many ways that you're just so tired, you're just so exhausted that you can't stand in victory. You will never carry the promises of God that God has for you. So here the Bible says that they weren't to fight. So you know what they were to do? When you read that scripture, it says they were to get up and take their position. They were to stand in their position. Not fight, but stand. Even in the New Testament, when the Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. It says, we don't fight against powers for uh, flesh and blood, but against powers for spiritual ruled our spiritual way. But the thing about it is, they've all been beat. They've all been defeated. So what we have to do is learn to stand. And so, to get the victory... And what you're going through right now, you're going to have to move into something that is a different weapon. And it's hard for people like me to comprehend or understand. You know, we have a, um, Chris and Stacy gave us a, a baby squirrel a few weeks ago. And I've never had a pet that I felt like was more like me than I do this squirrel. Because... Man, I get up and I just sit and laugh at this thing all the time. Now I know how other people have watched me over the years. Because when we let him out of his cage, and the little thing is on crack. 
it just runs and won't sit still. And, man, and, and when it gets to where you think it's worn out and tired, it'll climb on the couch, sit there, and it'll look at you and then blink and be gone again. Jeez, it's the craziest little animal. And so people like me that, you know, have the ADD mentalities, my life, I always felt like, has always been like at that speed. And so the truth is, in life, though, I kept thinking, I, if I can just... Be busy enough. If I can just pray more, if I can just do more, if I can just get more, accomplish, that I can win this thing, if I can just... But the thing about it is this. Spiritual battles can't be won by physical things. And so when we try to work our way to victory, that's what you call religion. And when you make what you do in the supernatural all about what you do in the natural about how many hours you're praying or how many times you're in service. When you make it about that and it becomes an action, a supernatural thing becomes a physical action or natural action that you take. You're going to find yourself working in a religion and religions do not bring about miracles. It's just bottom line. You're not going to get a victory being religious. We say, well, Kruger, then what do we do? I'm going to read the scripture. Hebrews 4 says this. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest. Now, this is a different kind of concept. Because again, when we think of rest, we think of lazy boy recliner. Sit back and not have to do anything. Rest is not inactivity. As a matter of fact, especially today... For people to actually learn to rest, it takes a lot of work. You know, because we've conditioned ourselves now to be so busy, so productive, and be involved in so many things that even the word rest can become work. And the truth of the matter is this. This word, enter into his rest, is not an action. It's a place. And so over the next few minutes, I'm praying that I, I deliver this properly. Because, see, we're not to fight for victory. We're to fight, fight from victory. He's already won it. So what we have to do is move into the place of victory. And the place of victory is a place, the Bible calls here, of His rest. It says this, least us, least, Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, let me tell you how you can tell there. You know, the Bible says in Daniel that angel Lord came down and measured a man and found him lacking. Remember, found him short. You know, there's measures, uh, things, uh, ways to measure whether or not we fall short of it. Let me, tell, let me give you the test or the measuring stick whether or not you are living in his rest. One is, are you able to sleep at night? Or do you toss and turn worrying about what it is that you're going through on a constant basis? And you can't get to sleep in any way. Or if you do go to sleep, you wake up all through the night stressing, worrying, constantly begging, pleading for God to intervene, constantly trying to figure out a way to cause this to stop. You know, if that's the state you're in, you're not in his rest. It says, at least we fall short of this thing. You know, are you constantly 
trying to move or motivate or manipulate people to try to get involved and help you get through what's going on or change or you know, shift? Or are you blaming what's happening in your life on a boss, on a wife, on a co-worker, on a friend? Are you trying to figure out someone to put this on? Because if you are, then you're not fighting from the place of victory. You're not in a place of rest. Because the Bible is real clear. It says that, you know, that in this life there's going to be trials and tribulations. Whose fault is it? Well, when man sinned in this life, <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're breathing, you know, that's whose fault it is. The devil and what we're living in, we're a fallen world. So trying to find reasons why, trying to put it on somebody, you know, you're not in the place of rest. But it says this, it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well. As to them. So in other words, the people that, he says, you know, you need to move into rest, but there are going to be people that are falling short. They're not doing this. And the gospel was preached to them. There are people sitting in this room right now, and you've been sitting in these rooms or in other churches for weeks, and you go and you hear the word of God, and the word of God is taught, and you're hearing it, and you're hearing it, and you're hearing it. But yet... Even though you're here, it says it was preached to them and us, but yet it says, for they did preach to them, it says, but the word which they heard did not profit them. How can that possibly be? That you can sit under the word of God and it not profit you? Because the scripture says this, that he sent his word and it will perform everything he sent it to do. And so, you know, I've been sitting in church and sitting in the gospel and, and you know, believing God over my finances. And man, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. Or, you know, sitting, believing over health and feeling like nothing ever. Believing over relationships or believing over my mate or believing, you know, God's going to have a mate or believing all these things. And man, it's like nothing's working. None of this stuff, nothing's taking place. For they, they were sitting in church. So we got... Preach, I mean, Christians here, they were sitting and they were taught the gospel, but it said it did not profit them. It says, then it says this, not being mixed with faith. And so, here we go, finding now what this rest looks like. It takes two things for this rest to come into your life. It says, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed... Do not enter that rest as he has said. It takes two things. One, it takes the presence of the gospel, the word of God. And then two, it takes faith in your life. Now, if you go down to verse 11, it says this. Let us therefore be diligent to enter into that rest. Another translation says this. Uh, it says, therefore, let us labor. To enter into this rest. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say when you find yourself in the middle of a spiritual battle. And it's coming at you. And always you need to know number one. The battle's not yours. It's the Lord's. If you can fix it in the natural. Then fix it. Because it's not a supernatural battle. But if you're in a supernatural battle. You're not going to be able to win this thing. Because the battle's not yours. The battle's the Lord's. God has chosen to fight your battles for you. God has chosen. When you chose Him to be your Lord, He chose you to be your protector. And then the Bible says, it says that our job is not to put our energy, efforts, and fight into the battle. 
our job is to put our energy, our efforts, and our fight into being able to move into this place of rest. Now let me, you're saying, Cricket, I'm lost, I don't get it. Well, let me read what the idea of this place is. It says in Psalms 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now I want you to understand something. There is a place of rest that God has created, God has provided, and God has given you access to. That it's here, he calls it, the shadow of the Almighty. And it's kind of like this. You know, and when me and the girls were outside, Isla now, she, you know, my baby, she's about this big, the sun gets bright and all that kind of, I caught her the other day doing this. When we were outside, she was standing there, we were talking to a guy, and I was moving around, because I'm always moving around like a squirrel, but I was moving around, and she was moving around. I didn't get what she was doing. But the sun was so bright, I was wearing sunglasses, but she was just moving around. What she was doing was she'd figured it out. That if she could stay in my shadow, then she could see what was going on. But so when I would move, my shadow moved, and she would step back into it. So I started messing with her. I'd step way back here, and she'd step back here, I'd move over here. And I was constantly, and I felt like a lot of times that's what God does to me. Here in the church, that he that dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of his almighty. I feel like to me, when I'm in the middle of a battle, I feel like God sometimes is moving around, and I'm in a constant battle, and that's what we're to do. Our job is not to fight the devil. He's been defeated. Our job is to fight for rest, to fight to stay in that shadow, that I put my energy and my effort to stay in that place. Why? Because that word shadow there comes out of three different pictures in the Hebrew language. Three pictures, one being shadow as in shade. Meaning, you know, in Arkansas it doesn't usually work this way, but in Arizona and other places where the humidity isn't that high, they have what they call a shade line. And everything that casts a shadow has a shade line. And like in Arizona, where the humidity is low, you can be standing in 110 degree heat here, but step past the shade line, and it'll go down to 90 degrees in the shade line. There is a comfort. There is an ease in a shade. And see, God says, he that dwells in this place that God has available for us, they can step into a shade, a place where it takes the intense pressure and heat off. It takes the intense struggle of just trying to survive. Move us into a place of comfort instead of fight at all times. So our fight is not to try to fight the heat. Our fight is to stay in the shade. Am I making sense? Is this right? So then, not only is it a, a shade, but it's also that word comes out of the word protection, a a covering. You guys remember, and this is going to date a lot of folks, but you remember when we used to go to Blockbuster or it was Movie Gallery here, and you would go rent a movie, a VHS tape. Kids, they used to have these big old fat tapes. I was actually at a an event Thursday night with Jennifer and her work. And there was a guy that I thought was close to my age, but he's not because the, uh, the boss, the boss of the place walked up and was talking. He was talking about his old eight-track player. I said, "Dude, I used to have one of them." And the guy stands up and says, "I've never seen what is an eight-track player." And I instantly knew I didn't got old, man. 
because I we used to have an eight track player, and it had a, we had the song by Chris Christian. Why does the devil have all the good music? And we put that thing in and sit around there. But I found out. But I, so I'm old. Talking about an old VHS tape. But you go into remember we used to go rent the VHS tapes. And but every time you went to rent one, always laying on the counter, they had one in a sign that says, "Don't leave this on the dash of your car," because they had one all gnarly and twisted up. Y'all remember that? If you don't Google it, guys, if you're younger than what a VHS tape was, they went all gnarly and all that. Because what happens is when you set one of those tapes in the sun, the heat. And the, th- the damaging rays of the sun would melt that plastic and it would just draw it up and it would destroy it. And you had to pay for that movie. And so they say, don't put it in, leave it in the sun. That's, that's the same idea. That, that word, he that dwelt in the secret place of the mother shall abide under the shadow, the, the protecting of the, the elements. What the enemy is trying to bring against you from the right, the left, the north, the south, and every side in between. The Bible says there is a place that you don't fight to get in that you fight from to stay in. And so when you get there, it will protect you from things that what other people go through, distort and destroy and twist their life, destroy their marriage or mess their life. It twists them up. You can be in this place. And there's a covering. And what would normally destroy someone else. Man, you can go through it. And be okay. One of the best pictures of this is when the three Hebrew children went through the fire. The ones that went toward it before them died even before they got to it. But yet, they walked right in. And they were walking around. And they weren't walking around alone. They were in a secret place of the Most High. They had come to a place of not just... Just fighting. They, you know, they had done their standing. Now they had to move into a place of trusting. That God was going to be with them while they go through. The Bible says they came out of that not even smelling like smoke. Alright, the next picture that word comes out of there is a word called dial. It's when you take a sundial. Now this goes back even older than me, okay? But there's a, there's a disc they used to tell. that It was a disc and it had this little pointy thing up in the middle. And that's called a sundial. And what would happen was, when the sun would come up, that dial, the, the rays of the sun would hit, and it would cast a shadow onto the plate that was there. That shadow was always letting you know that time was moving. And so this word here says this. says that, He that dwelt in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the timing of God. There's a place that you can get into and you can live in the timing of God. And you need to know this about the timing of God. The timing of God is the power of God. You can trust His timing. Because if it's not time for God to move, we can move out on our own and make a mess of it all. Moses proved that Better than anyone else in the scripture. Moses knew God, loved God. His mother had taught him about God. And he rose up when he realized what God wanted him to do. And he did it in natural strength. When he did it in natural strength, he killed a man. And let me just go a step further. He sent a man to hell. That's tough. Because he did supernatural things with natural means. He was fighting for victory. Instead of standing in victory. 
And it cost him 40 years of discomfort. It was not God's will to put him in the wilderness. Although God used the wilderness because what even qualified him down the road to be able to lead the children into the wilderness was, hey, he was the only one that lived there for 40 years. He'd already been through it all, all right? So he was able to lead others through it. But he got out of the timing of God. Because once the timing of God was at work, there was nothing Moses could do. The fire lit on the bush and it didn't consume it. You need to understand something. There is a place that God has provided for us to live in. And it's a secret place because not very many people know about it. It's not secret because it's not for everyone. It's secret because not very many people know how to get there. Because the Bible says that we have to labor to enter into His rest. We spend so much time, energy, and effort laboring to try to get out of the situation, to try to get things to change and turn. If you knew how many hours I have spent praying, what I would call praying, to get God to move and change things, and it's like God would not even hear me. Because what I was doing was trying to fight this thing in my own strength, religiously even at that, instead of moving into what I call, and what Paul called, the rest of the Lord. The rest of the Lord is a place that this is what the Bible says about it. It says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. The rest of the Lord is a place where you move into purposefully and make the conscious decision to trust God. But cricket, this is going on. I choose to trust God. But this is going on. I choose to trust God. And i got to be honest with you. It wouldn't say labor if you didn't have to work at it. If it was easy, if it was natural, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be in there saying labor. In other words, I'm going to have to fight to trust God. I'm going to have to fight every thought, every feeling, every emotion. I'm going to have to fight what I see in the natural. And I'm going to have to fight that my God is for me. No one can stand against me. So you've got to understand. Well, you say, how do I fight from victory? Well, you've got to understand the story I heard about two dogs. There was a big dog and a little dog. And the big dog looked at the little dog and started laughing, just laughing. Ha <laughs> ha, man, you are the scrawniest poor excuse of a dog I have ever seen. Look at you. You're even six inches off the ground. One of them was a big, you know, um, German shepherd, you know, a little chihuahua. And he's laughing, laughing, laughing. Every time they would go somewhere, the big dog would look at him and be like, man, are you sure you're not a mouse? You know, look at you. You, you, they call you a dog and you got ear like, but, but man, you look like a mouse. And, and when you bark, it, it sounds like a mouse. And man, are you sure you're a dog? You're, you're the poorest excuse of a dog I've ever seen. Well, the little dog got tired of it one day. And when they walked over toward his house, he said, well, I'll tell you what, big dog. Let's, let's have a contest. Man, I'm ready to go in. And so, me being so little, surely you can get through this door easier than I can. So, let's have a contest. Let's see who can get through the door first. And so, the big dog goes, what are you talking about? Man, you can't even reach the doorknob. You can't even, look, you're six inches off the ground. You can't even get up there to turn it. And the little dog says, all right, well, take my challenge. And so, the big dog goes, all right. And so the little dog says, you go first. 
So the big dog said, okay. And he jumped up, threw his paws up on the door, grabbed the doorknob with his mouth, started rattling and twisting, shaking his head and rattling. And after two or three minutes, the door, he got it twisted enough it came open. Well, the big dog pulled it back shut, said, all right, now it's your shot. See if you can beat that. The little dog just tried to ride up to the door and went, bop, bop. And within 10 seconds, a man came up and opened the door, said, come on in, baby, and shut the door behind him. What I'm saying is this. See, the enemy may make you feel like you're a little dog. You've done a whole lot of things and you don't amount to nothing, but I'm here to tell you. It doesn't matter what size of the dog in the fight. It matters who the dog belongs to. And when you understand that you've got somebody on your side that cares more about you than wants to take care of you. As a matter of fact, their whole existence exists to be able to get up and make sure you're fed, make sure you're watered, make sure you have clothes. Make sure It even says, why do you worry about what you're going to wear? Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? All the worrying you do can't even add an inch to your stature. What he's trying to say is this. Hey, you're battling and you're fighting so many things that you were never meant to buy at battle and fight. All you have to do is move into the rest that I have for you. Because check it out. It says this. It says, it says that he's my fortress and my rest. My God will I trust. Surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers. That always used to trip me out like a bird. He's a bird. Let me tell you what it says. He shall cover you with his feathers. And I was reading this a couple days ago and I thought, what does this mean? Cover me with his feathers. Put his wing over me? No, because the next scripture, I mean the next part of this says, and under his wing take refuge. So he said, cover you with feathers and under his wing. When you say under your wing, you're going to be protected. No, I, the Lord told me this. Cricket, you don't get this. I didn't put you under my wing and there's feathers on my wing. I put my feathers on you. You know what feathers do for a bird? Feathers keep a bird well, dry in the middle of a rainstorm. They, they, you heard water off a duck's back. It protects them from elements that they go through. You know what else feathers do for a bird? There are certain feathers on a bird that if a bird did not have, a bird could not fly. They are called their flight feathers. See, he covers me with his feathers. That means that when I'm in this place of rest, I have the ability to fly up and above. See, you say, well, what do you do? It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall walk you not grow weary, they should run and not go faint. In other words, I have the ability from the place of rest, not the place of fight, but the place of rest that I can soar above everything that the enemy has put underneath me. There's a place that the fight is not yours. There's a place that the battle doesn't have to be won by you. As a matter of fact, the battle can't. The battle's already been won. The Lord told me at one point this way, Cricket, how long are you going to keep fighting a battle that's already been won? And I feel like a lot of times I spend so much energy fighting the wind because the devil's not there. I can't hit it. He's defeated. He's already beaten. So what happens is that if the enemy can convince me to try to win my battle instead of fight to stay in the rest of the Lord, then... It keeps God from being released, or keeps God from moving to a place to be able to release the miracle that I've been desperately needing in my life. Let me go a little bit different. Now, is this place that you're in lack of 
of battle. No, look, look here, this is what it says. He shall cover you with his wings, feather. He shall under his wings take refuge. His truth shall be like your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid by the terror by night, nor the pestilence that flies by day. It says this. It says, nor the arrow that flies by day. It says, nor the, or it says you, shall not, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Now, my little girl, the little one, is at this age now that when thunder and lightning happens, I can count. If we're asleep at night and I hear thunder and lightning, I know the next sound I'm going to hear is going to be... Until our door opens. And then she's coming, jumping in. And Jen has a rule at our house, babies don't sleep in our bed. So I pick her up, carry her back into her bedroom, put her back in the bed... And I explained to her all how we're living in a house and our house has a roof on it and the rain can't get in here to you and you know the windows and the walls protect us. You're safe. This is your bed. You're fine. You're warm. And I will be able to get her convinced to calm down. I'll get out, go back to my room and the next thunder, the next lightning. And I'm telling you, I've fought this battle for hours sometime at night because she's coming. And... Jennifer don't allow babies to sleep in our bed. But what I have found out is amazing. I can take that kid in there for hours. And she can't ever get rest. She can't ever get calm. She's constantly jumping up and trying to get to a place where she feels safe. Or, this is what I figured out. If I let her just lay in my bed, right beside me, she's out within five minutes. And even though the thunder is happening, and even though the lightning is still happening, and even though the rain's still there, she's found this place where there's peace and there's rest. And see, that's what he's talking about here. There's this place. It says, a thousand may fall at your side. This is a tactic of the enemy. He wants to show you everybody that can't make it. Everybody that didn't get through it before. But you need to know, not everybody was in that place. Not everybody was in that rest. See, even the... Why, that's, a, that's not an uncommon trick the devil uses. Just like, you know, right when you're battling cancer, you'll instantly know or people will tell you or you will see, you know, so many people that didn't make it through it in the past. The enemy, well, whatever, if you're fighting, you know, a financial thing, you'll see people struggling. You'll see people that are going to, and they didn't make it. You'll see people lose their house. The car get repossessed. Because, see, that's a tactic of the devil. The devil wants you to see people fail. So you'll step outside of this shadow and move into the battle. And if you can, if he can draw you out into the battlefield, he can keep you worn out. He can keep you, it says, speak words against the Most High to wear the saints out. And then it says it's to change the times and the seasons. And this is what the Bible says, if he can step you out. But see, if you can stay, if you will fight and you will stay in that rest, what will take place in your life is that then these things will begin to be released. It says, you know, it says that um, 10,000 fall, you, the, the children of Israel, that's why when, they went to throw the three Hebrew children in the fire. The guard, they sent the guards in first and they died before they got to the door. Because when the three Hebrew children went to walk through, the devil wanted to see the dead bodies. They had to walk by people that didn't make it through it in the past. You may think your marriage may not make it. Your mom and dad's didn't. Your, friend, your friends or your brothers didn't. I'm here to tell you, you can make it if you'll get to the place of rest. 
you'll move into the rest of the Lord. And I'll explain what that is in just a couple minutes. This is it. It says, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. In other words, man, you'll look around and see people that aren't serving God, maybe better and living better than you. And you're like, only with your eyes, because see, your heart doesn't see that. Because you know what you see in this shade, just like little Isla, when she was fighting to stay in my, because if she could stay in my shadow, the sun was so bright it was blinding. And if she could stay in my shadow, she could stay and see what was really going on around her. See here, if you are in this place, you can see What God is doing. You can see the perspective of how God's doing. But see, out here, all you can do is be blinded by what's going on out here. But moving into here gives you the perspective of the shade. You can see that, you know, the wicked are prospering there, but that's not the end result that's going to happen in their life. This is only a matter of time thing going on. It says this, it says, only with that, but because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling. For He shall give His angels charge over you. Now check it out. This is the secret. See, when I'm here, I don't have to fight. Because it says He gives His angels charge around about me. They're doing the fighting for me. When I'm out here... I'm having to do the fight. But when I'm back here in his shade, he's doing the fight for me. There's a difference in the way that you can fight. And then it says this. It says, For he gives his heart to keep you in all your ways. In their hands I shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. You shall tread upon the lion, the cobra, the young lion, and the serpent, will you trample under your feet. It says, Because he has set his love upon you, therefore he will deliver you. Man, I tell you, There's a better place to fight from than in the battle. I want to jump real quick to the New Testament. We'll close this. Again, in Hebrews 4.11, it says this, Let us labor to enter the Lord's rest. Rest is not inactivity. Here it goes. It says, Jesus said this in Matthew 12. uh, Matthew says, For this reason... I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I don't know, Paul said this. I'm sorry, I'm Second Timothy. He said this. Nevertheless, for this reason, I've also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day. What is this place of rest? This place of rest is a place of confidence of who you belong to and what he's done for you. And that... If He's done that much for you, He's not going to stop now. He's not going to let it end this way. Matthew 4, or Mark 4, is where we're going to jump. We'll do this real fast. That's all Old Testament. I want to show you what it looks like in the New Testament. Because a lot of times we think, yeah, that's Old Testament. That's, that's when, you know, back, way back in the day, New Testament's really more like days we were living in, you know, more relevant stuff. And so here it says this, Mark 4. On that same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. Now look here, it says, and other little boats were with him also. So there was Jesus and the disciples in a boat, and there were other little boats with him. All right, and it says, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. In other words, it looked like it was sinking, it felt like it was sinking, and the reality was the boat was sinking. 
didn't say they thought it was going to fill. The reality of their situation was the boat was already filling up. I'm not denying what's going on in your life. That's ignorance. But I am telling you this. My God is greater. My God is bigger. When we, we, me and my girls, I tried to find the video on my phone, but it's on a computer that broke down a computer a computer ago. Cause it was, but when Lexi was in kindergarten, she, we had her, her preschool, we had her in First Baptist. I'm so glad we did because in the middle of one of my days, one of the hardest days I was struggling, she started singing, sing, started singing this song. My God is greater, my God is bigger. There's no other, um, how's it go exactly? My God is greater, my God is bigger. My God is stronger. How's it go, Kelly? I tried to find this video. No, no, no. This one, this is a funny a little kid one. He goes, uh, um, who, ah, well, she was singing it. She was singing the song. Man, I was having the worst day. Trying to fight mentally, trying to fight emotionally. Felt like I was losing on every front. And when I got there, my little girl, I picked her up, put her in the back of my car. And it was just me. Because at that time, the enemy tried to take my family, tried to take everything. And I was fighting every way I could. And I thought I was losing this battle. Major. And little kid got in my car, said, my God is bigger, my God is stronger. Nobody can fight. No one is greater than my God. It was a, it was a neat little song. And so I spun around with my phone and started videotaping it. And so for the next month... Every time the enemy come and tried to tell me I was losing, I played it. Every time I played it. Because I had to get back to a place of rest. That I wasn't fighting for victory. I was fighting from victory. And I was going to fight for this thing. So here in this Bible, here in this scripture it says this. And a great rainstorm, and the boat was filling. It was sinking. The reality was sinking. It says, but he was in the stern of the boat. See, there's specific places that we have to get to and be in. There's secret. Why, why do you think it was the stern of the boat? Because it was, you have to have a specific place to fight from. Again, it says he's in the secret place of the Most High. This place that you're needing to get into is not going to come from you just being casual and hanging out on the deck of life with everybody else involved. There comes a place where you've got to pull into and get into a private place. But then check this out. It says this, it says, But when in the boat asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the seas and said, Peace be still. I got a whole new understanding of this this week because that was always weird English to me. Peace be still. That's King James stuff. But I read a translation that said this. Quiet and settle down. Said quiet, and, and I, I went. The minute I read that, I instantly went back because that's probably the number one phrase I use at my house more than anything else. <laughs> I, I, the girls get acting a little crazy and getting hyper and excited and getting, and I can see what's about to happen. I can see that something's either fixing to get broken, somebody's fixing to get mad, or the other one's going to hit them. And so I always, even before it happens, I have to step out and say, "Quiet, settle down." And see, that's not a punishment. That's not a miracle. That's authority. And what this picture here is, he didn't step out and declare a miracle. He didn't 
make a miracle happen. He stepped out and took authority. Because my God is bigger. My God is stronger. That's it. I almost got it. There's no one like my God. And he stepped out. And he said, quiet. Settle down. Now check this out. And then he arose and rebuked the wind, saying, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? What you got to know is this. It takes two things, going back to what we read. It took them being, hearing, and connected and part of a church. And it took them putting faith in the mix. It said in the mix. Did I read that one to you yet? I get in both sides. So it's a quiet still. Let me get into this real quick. Number one, what you need to understand is this. When you're in this place, you don't have to worry if you're going to make it to the other side. When you're in this place. When you're in a place of rest and confidence, you're going to make it. It's only a matter of time. Weeping may last for a night. But joy comes in the morning. That scripture says it's only a matter of time. This will not last forever. The sun will come back up. You will see color again. You will not be under this at all times. This battle will be over. But when you're in this position, you know you're going to make it. Now you need to understand something. Not everybody does. Not everybody makes it. That's why I've seen marriages in church fall apart. That's why I've seen, um, you know, people in churches die from diseases. Because not everybody makes it. You say, well, cricket, what's the difference? The Bible said there was several boats, but only one made it to the other side. The boat that put Jesus in the boat and wasn't just close to the boat. You can't just be close to this. You can't just be a part of the herd. You just can't be. You've got to be the one that is willing to fight to keep Jesus connected to you. See, if you want to get, how do I get to this, this place of rest and go through a battle and, and not have the effect on me that it's having on me now? See, the disciples were going through this boat in this same storm and they were in the boat with Jesus, but they weren't connected to Jesus the way that Jesus wanted them to be connected. Because see, the storm was not only on the outside of them, the storm was also on the inside of them. Now you can tell if you're in this place or in this place on where the storm is. If the storm is on the outside of you, then you are more than likely fighting from this place. But if the storm is on the, or fighting from this place, if the storm is on the outside only, you're fighting from this place. If, you're, if the storm is as strong on the inside of you as it is on the outside of you, you can't rest, you can't lay down, you can't get peace, you're always worked up, you're always worried, you're always in anxiety, you're always upset, you're all, then what's going on is the storm is on the inside of you and on the outside of you. And when the storm is on the outside of you and on the inside, the disciples were going to make it because Jesus was in their boat. Thing about it was, the ride was going to be hell. And that's just the truth. God didn't call you to have to go through these storms and you have to just struggle through every step or constantly be fighting your whole life. See, you can completely have a relationship with Jesus and not be in the secret place of the Most High. Not be in this rest. You have to fight to stay in this place. Well, how do you fight to stay in this place? This is the way Jesus did it. The way Jesus was able to do it, He gives us one key connection, one secret to His peace. And it says He was asleep in the stern of the boat. He, 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 he got into a place where Jesus was always doing that. 
always pulling away. Because see, you can be a part of a church and not know who Jesus is. You can be part of, Jesus was always slipping away alone with God. There's a difference in being where God is and being alone with God. You're not going to get to this secret place unless you being alone with God is as important to you as you going to church as well. You have to make you... Jesus was as all the way through the Bible. The Bible says at one place that He got up early in the morning before the sun was up and He went alone and snuck to a private place and prayed. You're, you can't live in the place of rest, in the Lord's rest, in the secret place, just going to church and that being the only part of God you have. It's going to take you having a personal relationship with Him Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, coming back to church, worshiping Him publicly, being a part of what God's doing, and then you carrying God back with Him, knowing Him more and more and more every single day. Jesus was alone in the storm, and the storm was not in Him. Secondly, it says, He laid His head on a pillow. If you don't understand the importance of a pillow when it comes time to sleep, <laughs> you've never tried to sleep on a boat. See, if He would have been in the stern and tried to lay on the bench, and the waves started crashing, and the wind started blowing, his head would have constantly been hitting against the boat and the storm that the devil had brought against him. But see, Jesus was smart enough. He got a pillow when he got on the boat. You say, well, what is that? Craig? I believe that God uses three things as a pillow. One, the Word of God is a pillow. And I am to take the Word of God and what the Bible says, and I'm to put it and apply it and lay my head against it. So when the devil comes and he tries to make me think that I'm not going to make it, he's going to try to make me think that God can never do that. He tries to make me think every time a wave hits, I've got something between me and I've got something between the wave that gets a cushion. And every time the devil tries to cause it to be a blow, I've got a pad that tells me what the truth is and not what my head is being hit with. Do you understand? Had he not have known what God had told him, he would not have known he was going to make it to the other side. And he would never have been able to close his eyes and go to sleep. See, the disciples did not have that cushion. That's why they ran down. Do you not care if we're going to die? Jesus knew that God was going to give his angels charge around about him to keep him in all his ways. He had the Word of God as a pillow. If you're going to move to the place of rest, you're going to have to make it a priority and put the work in to find out what the Word of God says so when the storm rages, you have a pillow to lay your head against. And that thought life that the devil is going to try to bring against you causes peace to be still. Another thing he had is he had good friends that believed the way he did on his boat. You're not going to do it alone. See, my friends, the people that I surround myself with, the people that I get, I have their pillow. Because, see, when I can't seem to hold on tight enough to my pillow of the Word, i got to have friends that will stand between me and them, and they'll tell me what the Word of God says when the devil's trying to make the waves hit my head harder than what I can protect myself with my own thoughts. Does that make sense? Jesus had 12 people on that boat that believed the same way He believed. And to where, even though they were not functioning properly. He's, that was his practice. He surrounded himself. As a matter of fact, there was a time that you could even say that Jesus was a little insecure when he said, who do they say that I am? And they said, some say you're a prophet. And he said, well, Peter said, you're the son of God. He goes, 
flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. God, he ran around with people that could hear from God. Because he knew the devil would fight him the same way the devil fought everyone else. And I'm telling you, if you want to find peace in your storm, you better get people in your life that won't tell you what you want to hear, but they will tell you what the Word of God says about your situation. And they have the right to step in and say, hey, you don't need to put your head on that rock. You need to put your head on a pillow. And you know, they need to get it going. You've got to let people speak. You've got to make sure you know who's speaking. Thirdly, Jesus was with those that he called the church. Because Peter was on that boat and Jesus said, on this rock I'm going to build my church. One of the greatest pillows in my life is a church. It's where I can come and be a part of. And no matter what hell I'm fighting on the outside, when I'm on the inside, it's this secret place. Because that's what it says. It says, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail. So me putting a pillow in my life is like me putting myself on a big old body pillow. Be connected to the church. You know, I'm, me and Jennifer um, are totally different. I, I like soft pillows. When I buy a pillow, I have to buy a soft one. Jennifer's a firm pillow sleeper. And I tell Jen all the time, you know, uh, I don't know how in the world you sleep on that because if I slept on your pillow, man, it'd give me a pain in my neck. I tell you, there are certain people that God wants to use in your life that may feel like a pain in your neck. They're going to tell you what you think, how you should do, what you should be doing. But you need to understand something. God's using them to protect you and get you through that storm and keep you in a place where you're going to be all right. need to know this. God was not shaken by this storm. He had to get through this thing. He had to. The reason why He had to get through this thing was because God had somebody on the other side of this thing that no one else could help but Jesus. They were going to a town called Galilean. Galilean was a city that was the ancestors of the tribe of Gad in the Old Testament. The Gad tribe of Gad was one of the twelve Hebrew children, or one of the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, the tribe of Gad was someone that, you know, they knew they were children of Israel, but they had an area of compromise in their life. And anywhere the devil has an area of compromise, it moves you out of the secret place and into a place where you're going to have to fight a lot of your own battles. And the Galileans, this is what they did in the, in the tribe of Gad in the Old Testament. When God gave them the promised land, this is what they did. They came up to Joshua and said, Joshua, we know God's given us the land that flows with milk and honey. But they were camped on the side of the Jordan and says, you know what, we're okay right here. This is far enough for us. You guys can go on into the promised land, but we're okay here. Would it be okay if we just stay on this side of the river? Close enough to what God's doing, but yet still over here where we can be in control. That's why the little boats in that story, I believe, were with him and not in the boat with him. It's because you find people that want to be in control and don't want to let Jesus in control. Don't want to do it the way God wants to do it. You find yourself yourself with people that aren't possessing the promises of God. So Joshua came to him. And check this out. This is a trip. Joshua came to Gad and told him this. said, hi, you got got that. Um, Y'all can stay there. But this is the rule. 
You're going to have to fight every battle we fight anyway. <laughs> that doesn't sound real cool, does it? Hey, they, they wanted to compromise. The truth was this. They compromised staying just close enough, but they still had to go into the promised land and fight all the battles, all the giants, all that anyway. But where we find the tribe of Gad in the New Testament, is we find them here on the other side. And when Jesus and the disciples got there, the Bible said that there was a young boy that was demon-possessed living up in the tombs. And it said this. It said that he was tormented night and day. And he would take he would cry out and he would take stones and cut himself. Let me show you what it looks like when you don't live under the shadow of the Almighty. Man, you can't sleep. You can't rest. You're always worked up. You're always worrying. You're always upset. You're always trying to hold it together. You're always to the point where you stress about everything. Money, family, friends. It's like taking a knife and cutting yourself. The most dangerous thing a person can do is spend time stressing. They say every major disease is connected back to stress. That's the work of the demonic spirit in somebody's life. If you are just always under this prayer, you need to know something. There's a place of rest for you. Quit trying to fight that. Fight to get into here. You say, well, Cricket, how do I get into there? Real quick. Just a couple of things. One, Jesus did it by staying connected. He was always spending time alone with God. Always. Number two, you find a, a thing in his life. You know, he found, you find himself with a submitted life. Jesus said this, I only do what the Father tells me to do. You find somebody that only wants to believe part of the Bible, you find people living in Galilee. you got to be willing to submit because you got to understand that the God you serve wants the best for you. And if He asks you to do something, it's for your best. If He asks you not to do something, it's for your best. You can trust Him. And when you allow yourself to trust Him, it moves you into a place and into the timing of God. You say, well, Cricket, what does that mean? In Romans 8, 28, it says this, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. That's... Those that love and that's the connected life. Then it says this, and for those that are called according to His purpose. That's the submitted life. You're not just going to live your life your way. You're going to be connected to something that God's connected to and do something the way God wants you to do it. And understand that God wants to use you. He had to get, Jesus had to get to the other side. He knew He couldn't be stopped because there was somebody on the side that was not going to get set free unless He made it. Because the Bible says that no one else on that side could set Him free. Why? Because nobody had been through what Jesus had been through. No one had learned to move into that place that Jesus had learned to move into. And so therefore, no one but Jesus could set those free that were held captive in the same manner. Jesus had a purpose. I want to read one scripture to you, and then I'm closing this. Because I don't want to leave you with all this. I want to actually leave you understanding what to do. Alright? Here's what you do. How do I get to this place of rest? In Revelation 3, it says this, And the angel of the Lord of the church of Philippi wrote, These things say, say He is holy and He is true. The way you get to this place, is you understand that God is holy and God is true. You, to be with God, you've got to be willing to live holy and obey truth. To get to this place of rest. You know, I don't stress financial situations anymore. And it's not because I'm rich. 
because I obey what the Word of God says about my finances. There's a confidence that comes from this place. Now, before I was a tither, man, you send me a bill and I was freaking out. But because I'm a tither, I live by the truth. Man, if the bill is bigger than my bank account, I know God sent something in another way. I just got to wait on Him. His timing will be here. All right, it says, holy and true. Check this out. He who has the key of David, he who will open and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works, says the Lord. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. And you have a, and you have a little strength, have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now read this. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. See, Satan's got a church too. And some of Satan's members may be in here. I don't know. It says, Who say they are Jews, they're not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet. One translation says, I will make your enemies your footstool. It says, And I will know, and they and to know what I have loved you. They will know that I love you because you have kept my commandments to preserve, and I will keep you from the hour of trial which, you, which shall come upon the whole world and test those who dwell in the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast. To the, and I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. And he will go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city of my God. The new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. Now let me explain that, what that says. That's crazy. That's Revelation talk. Alright? What he's saying is this. God said this. God said, I'm holy and I'm true. If you'll fight to be holy, live holy, if you'll fight to obey truth, you'll move to a secret place of the Most High and the storm that rages out there will not rage in here because what I have, and I'm on your side, he said I have the key of the house of David. That makes reference back in Israel where one of, the, I mean, yeah, back in those when one of David's head servants was given the key to the house of David. It's a master key. It would unlock every gate and every door in the city of Jerusalem. There was no one higher or had more authority than that man. Jesus is saying this, I have the key of your life. I can unlock every single door. I can open every single heart. I can do whatever needs to be done. And if I open it, it cannot be closed. If I close it, it cannot be opened. I am your God. You only have to do two things. He said two things. He said this. He said, if you'll do this, he says, even if you have little strength, I'm here to tell the little dog something. There's a big man on the other side of the door that's got the key and can open it for you. If the enemy's convinced you're a little dog, it says, if you have little strength, you don't even got to be one of the mighty warriors in the kingdom. It says, little strength. It says, but you have kept my word. It says, and you have not denied my name. That means everybody in your life knows who you belong to. You're not ashamed of God. You want people to know you serve the Lord. Now, this is a secret. This is a key. Because this, the more people that know who you belong to, the more people God has to make sure you don't fail in front of. Because He's not going to let His name go down. And if you belong to Him, God wants people to know that He takes care of His own. The secret to this is one, obeying His Word and not denying His name. And this is what the Bible says. He will take the key 
and open doors that you can't open and close doors that the enemy has tried to open up in your life. You say, well, what does that mean? And then check this out. The Bible says that Jesus said that I will give you the key to the kingdom. He said, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Now, what happens is, as long as I'm living out here, I'm trying to use my own keys. I'm trying to use my own ways. I said that, you know, over the last few years, I travel a bit more than I used to. And when I travel, my kids and stuff travel with me. And I've got a bad habit. I take, you know, when I go to a hotel, they give me my key. Usually when you're checking in, they give you your key. I mean, when you give me your credit card and your driver's license, they give it back to you and they give you your room keys. I usually pull mine right out. I stick it all in my wallet. And then I go on. All right, what's happened is over the time, though, I've gotten, I, I got lots of keys in my wallet over the years. And I always forget to clean my wallet out. So I got to catch myself. I caught myself getting very angry a few months ago. Showed up at a hotel room, dragging all the kids in, dragging everybody, getting on to the third floor, getting up the room, and trying to take the key out of my wallet and trying to open the door. And I kept putting it in and come back red, red, red. I got swagger back, went back down, and I told them, I said, man, Y'all didn't program my key. My key's not working. And she said, yeah, that's a Holiday Inn key. This is a Marriott. I kept trying to use the wrong key in the right door. You need to know something. You keep doing it out here. You keep doing it on your own. You will never get through the door that God has set up for you for victory. But if you will do the keys, if you will obey His Word, and you will do not deny His name, if everybody in your life knows what I'm going through, I'm going through, but I'm God's kid, I'm a king's kid, there's no way God's going to let this storm sink your boat. Because all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and for those who are called according to His purpose. I'm here to tell you this. There's another way to do it. And I, I don't know who I was sent to tell this to today. I know it went long. I'm telling you, this is a prophetic message for somebody. You got it coming in from every direction. And you're tired. And you're exhausted. And the enemy's convinced you of things that aren't true. He says, he speaks the words of the Most High. The devil's told you, this is never going to change. The devil's told you, it's always going to be like this. The devil told you there's no way that it can ever change in any other way. Your God is so big. says He can open doors that doctors can't open. He can open doors that bosses can't open. He can open doors that, you know, governments can't open. He can open doors. And whatever door He opens, you need to understand something. Nothing can close it. Nothing. There was a time I had to believe God to open the heart, the door to my wife's heart. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you. You need to know, you don't fight for her. You fight to get here. He will send his angels to give charge around about you, to keep you in all your ways. That means he's going to keep everything in your life together. You won't lose a single person. You won't lose a single thing. But you've got to fight from a place of victory. Amen? And you say, well, Cricket, how do you do that? Well, stay connected. Stay submitted. And stay on purpose. You want me to tell you the one single thing that will do that to you? All three of those? You can do one thing and get three things? Alright, stay connected. You worship. Stay submitted. Worship. Stay on purpose. Worship. That's all. We were created to worship. We submit when we worship. And we connect when we worship. 
So when you don't know what else to do, you move into worship. Amen. So tonight, this is what we're today. This is what we're going to. I want to close with this. Say, cricket. This has been long. I understand, but there's been somebody. There's somebody in there that's been in a long battle. You've been fighting for a long time, and you've gotten tired. And you guys says he says he speaks words against the Most High. The devil's told you it will not be any different. You're always going to hurt this way. You're always going to feel this way. You're always going to think. And I'm here to tell you this. Those are words that the devil has spoke against the Most High. But I'm also here to tell you this. It says he's just trying to wear you out. Daniel chapter seven twenty five says that to change the times and the seasons. He's trying to keep you from getting your harvest. But I'm here to tell you, you worship your way through your battle and God will push back every enemy that has come against you because it's his battle, not yours. Fight to get into that place. Amen.